Hi, I'm Andy English. This is Headley Boys, a small town's big part in the Great War. I acknowledge that the town of Headley is in the traditional territory of the Samilkameen people. Episode 6. The 54th Go to War. Bobby Robertson and the 54th Battalion had arrived in France on August 14th, 1916, and after a fortnight of more training, they marched up towards the Ypres salient. There, they replaced some of the troops who were being sent south to the Somme. At this time, the Ypres salient was relatively quiet, a good place for inexperienced troops to be introduced to the harsh realities of war. A few days in the front lines introduced them to the conditions to which they would have to become accustomed to the filthy living conditions, with the dead lying out unburied, the rats, the mud, the lice everywhere. Trying to stay warm and dry was nigh on impossible. And then there was the enemy to contend with. Snipers were always a constant threat to the unwary, and shells still came over every day. To help gain more experience, trench raiding was often undertaken. This was normally done in small groups at night, with the intention of gaining intelligence on the enemy, from gun positions and new wire barricades, to taking prisoners for information on the opposing units. This type of warfare was more akin to medieval war than the 20th century. Surprise was essential, and so the weapons carried and used would be silent but quite lethal. Sharpened spades, hatchets, handles with lead spikes, cudgels and fighting knives were just some of the vicious, often homemade implements wielded in these raids. Firearms, if carried, would be pistols and revolvers, which were much more practical in the narrow confines of a trench. The night of September 15th, 1916, saw the 54th conduct such a raid at St. Eloy. Over 90 men, including Alec Jack and some of the Headley boys, left their trench just after midnight under cover of an artillery barrage. They crossed no man's land successfully and jumped into the German trench. Alec Jack landed on top of a German soldier, who he promptly took prisoner. The Germans overreacted swiftly, and very soon the raiders were fighting for their lives. At one point, Alec Jack came face to face with a German soldier pointing a rifle at him. The German fired, and Alec emptied his handgun at him. Without waiting to see the results, he took off back to his own lines. It was nearly dawn when he arrived at the trench he had left. He had crawled on his hands and knees the whole way. He was nearly shot. Australians had taken over the trench during the night. The 54th were being relieved. Out of the lines, the 54th took stock of the night. Four men were killed with another seven missing. Four officers and 21 other ranks had been wounded. One of these was John Frame, who had been one of the original group of volunteers. He was wounded by shrapnel in the cheek. Although wounded himself, he had brought in one of the wounded officers and was recommended for the Distinguished Conduct Medal, or DCM, for his actions. John Frame never returned to the battalion and was invalided out of the army due to ill health the following year. Another Headley boy was also recommended for the DCM for his actions that night. Bobby Robertson had stayed out in a shell hole with four wounded men, dressing their wounds and looking after them until help arrived. Despite their gallantry, their actions went unrecognised in the end because neither were awarded anything for what they did that night. The raid was considered a success. Six prisoners and a machine gun was meant to be a fair exchange for 36 men killed or wounded. This was a bloody introduction to what they would experience later on the Somme. However, for the Headley volunteers, there were still two more weeks around Ypres. 
The day after their first raid, Doc Martin rode home to Headley. He was now in the machine gun section, and so had not taken part in it. His time would come, though. Headley Gazette, October 12, 1916. The following letter, dated Belgium, September 16th, was received this week by the Headley Ladies Sewing Circle. Dear ladies, many thanks for beautiful socks received through Bill Former a few days ago. They come in very handy, and going along nicely, as I believe all the Headley boys are. Of course, do not see much of the boys now, I'm in the machine gun section, and Bert Schubert is the leading light in our gun, a good man in the right place. Sam McCurdy is also on another gun, being, I believe, the only other fellow from the valley in the machine gun section. I see a lot of Corporal Knowles, sometimes meet Jack Howe, Bobby Robertson, Rob McDougall and Joe Rotherham, and some time ago I met Frank Dollimore, who is in one of our tunnelling companies. He is doing well and looking fine. At present, our part of the front is rather quiet, not much doing outside of artillery duels, but no doubt it will get more interesting after a while. Trench life is not too bad in good weather, but is a terror during the rainy spells. We have had mud and water knee-deep and in some places almost need canoes to get around comfortably. I think we have Fritz's goat here. He makes no attempt to come over and shows his nervousness by a great display of flare lights during the night. We have made two trips into the trenches so far. At the present time we are resting and about due for another trip in. We are all getting the Lee Enfield rifles. A great improvement on the Ross. The Ross is not suitable for trench warfare. It is too big and clumsy. The Lee Enfield is not so heavy and is more compact. It carries a wicked bayonet that makes one long to stick it into someone. I expect someday we shall have a chance to try it out. Providing of course we live long enough. Flanders must have been a splendid country before the war. Very flat and an ideal farming country. Have never seen such splendid crops as are around here, but everything appears to be done by hand, very little machinery used. Farming is carried on to within a mile or so of the firing line. The hard-working peasants seem to pay little or no attention to the conflict waging so close to them. We are able to buy anything we need in the line of eats, etc. from the numerous little stores here, and I don't think we have to pay any more of them in England. I guess the people around here that are left are doing better than they ever did before, and we'll be sorry when the day comes for the withdrawal of the British troops. Kind regards, and again many thanks for your kindness, I remain, yours sincerely, Arthur P. Martin. The 54th spent their time before the move south alternating between training, work parties and time in the front line. On September the 26th they were inspected by General Plummer, commanding officer of the 2nd British Army. He was obviously pleased with what he saw, for on October the 1st, preparations began for the battalion's move to the Somme. They marched all the way there, passing through the French countryside still unspoilt by war. On the 11th, they arrived at the town of Albert. Half the battalion stayed there, while the rest went into the line. For the next three weeks, they would be alternating between acting as carrying and fatigue parties for the upcoming operations against Regina Trench, or holding sections of the front line. They did not take part in any attack during this time on the Somme, but every day there were casualties. This was mostly caused by shell fire, either directly aimed at work parties or just indirect shelling of the trenches. The successful attack against Regina Trench went ahead on the 21st, but the 54th held in reserve were not needed. The next day, while awaiting to go up to the front, they were shelled again and suffered five more wounded. One of these was Bobby Robertson, who suffered a shrapnel wound to his right leg. 
The next day he wrote home to reassure his mother. Headley Gazette, November 16th, 1916. Bobby Robertson writes. October 23rd, 1916. Dear Mother, just to note to let you know that I am still in the land of the living and in the best of health. I got a slight shrapnel wound above the right knee, but it is getting along fine. I am in the Australian hospital and they sure are a fine bunch of people. The sisters can't do enough for a fellow. They make it just like a home and believe me, it does one good too after being in the trenches. Well, possibly this time next year, I will be home letting you do the nursing. I hope so anyway. If the war lasts out this winter, I lose my guess. I don't think it can last much longer. Don't worry about me for I am Jake. Give my life to father and the girls. R.W. Robertson. While Bobby was being admitted to the Australian hospital, the 54th relieved the 102nd Battalion in the front lines. They were welcomed by the enemy with an artillery bombardment. Major Travis Lucas, the commanding officer of C Company, and the man who had signed the Headley boys into the army, was wounded in the hand, while Rod McDougall, one of the men he enlisted, was killed. Rod, along with his brother, had been a miner at the Nickel Plate and had originally come from Nova Scotia, and his family and friends back home published this tribute to him. The Casket, Antigonish, Nova Scotia, 16th of November 1916. Death Notice of Roderick D. McDougall. Killed in action is becoming a common phrase in the Casket's news items. Each week we note that some son of our county has given up his young life in defence of his country, and some Antigonish home is saddened by the great sacrifice it is called upon to make. The latest native of the county reported killed in action is Roderick McDougall, son of Mr Hugh McDougall, Crossroads, Ohio, fishery warden for the county. His death was reported last week. Roddy, though young in years, had grown to be a fine type of physical manhood. Tall and strong, he also was endowed with that quality of self-confidence that goes with fine physical development, and he early ventured from home, going to the Canadian West, the gold in late years of many of our ambitious youth. With other boys from his native community, he joined one of the Western battalions and some 14 months ago sailed for overseas. For a year, he had been in the trenches on the Western battle line. His parents and other members of the family have the deep sympathy of the community in their great loss. His loss was also felt by his brother and many friends in Headley, but events two days later would bring even more grief to Headley. The day of the 25th of October dawned clear and bright, a welcome relief from the almost constant rain. A minor operation was conducted against the Regina Trench by the 44th Battalion. This drew retaliatory fire and the 54 found themselves being shot at and shelled for most of the day. Jack Howe, the Australian Opera House manager, was shot through the ankle. Luckily the bullet missed the joint, but he was now evacuated to the rear. And later in the day, two Germans, one an officer, took the risk to walk across and surrender. It was decided to send the officer back to the rear for interrogation immediately, and an escort was assigned to go with him. After leaving their positions, the entire group was struck by shellfire and never seen again. Bert Schubert, the young man who had grown up with Headley, was a part of the escort. His body was never found and to this day he remains missing. While the 54th were marching from St. Eloy to the Somme, they went through parts of France as yet unscathed by the fighting. On 8th of October, while resting up after a long day's march, and no doubt full of trepidation of what was to come, Bert wrote a letter to Mrs Forbes of the Headley Ladies Sewing Circle. Headley Gazette, November 16th, 1916. 
The following letter, dated France, October 8th, was received by Mrs Forbes last week. Thursday last, a telegram was received by F.H. French, stating that Private Schubert had been killed in action. Dear Mrs Forbes, This is not a very ready answer to your letter, which I was certainly very glad to receive. These notes which we send from this part of the world, as you know, cannot be very newsy. However, I can let you know that so far we boys have been pretty lucky. We have not been on the firing line for some time, have moved to a different part and will probably soon go in again. We have passed through some very fine country in France, but as we near the line again, things begin to look tough. We took some prisons and a machine gun where we were before and have had an opportunity of seeing quite a few specimens of Fritz since then. France sure is a fine country, but it seems to me they are church poor, if there is such a thing. Every little village has a million dollar church, and so far as I can see, no nice public schools or buildings. We had an interesting trip from England to here, saw the Aquitaine and a lot of other nice comfortable looking Red Cross boats and trains. I do not know whether you will understand or not, but if I were to get hurt, all the boys would be jealous of me. You see, they would send me back to England, and I would at least have dry feet for a long time. Now, that reminds me that I have a pair of Headley-made socks on now, and the ladies of Headley will never know how much we appreciate what they have done for us. I often think of you people back in that little town of luxury. Yes, that is the right word. Even if things do get quiet once in a while, there is sure to be plenty of pure cold water to drink, and there isn't any poison gas or liquid fire in the air. If you ever get a chance to enjoy yourself, do so. I am glad I enjoyed myself while in Headley, because those things are all we have to look back upon now. Bert. The news of Bert's death hit Headley hard in an already dreadful year. Seven Headley men had died serving overseas in 1916, and though they did not know it, they were only halfway through the war. For the 54th, their time in the Somme would soon be over. In November, they were ordered out of the line and sent north once again. They marched back the way they come, but not the nearly thousand men of seven weeks ago. Less than 700 men marched back. Five Headley boys didn't make the return journey. Only Bobby Robertson would return to the 54th. Jack Howe's time at the front was over, and he spent the rest of the war in Scotland as a signaller with a forestry battalion, providing huge amounts of lumber needed for the duckboards and dugouts. Rob McDougall and Bert Schubert never left the Somme. The 54th's final destination was not to be Belgium, though. This time they stopped in northern France, at a place where all the four Canadian divisions were now being sent. The 54th, along with the other Canadian battalions, would get to know Vimy Ridge very well. Headley Boys was written, produced and presented by Andy English. Maple Leaf Forever was performed by Cindy Rieger in the Grace Church, Headley.